I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness and your longevity. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming back Mr. Pete Stetner to the podcast. Pete is a former World Tour rider with Trek Segafredo. He's also one of the figures largely responsible for the popularization of gravel. He's still at the pointy end of almost every single gravel event he enters, but he's now also balancing high-performance sport with being a father. This is a little taste of what awaits you today. Castages are one of the sponsors on the podcast. I've snagged an invite to Leadville this year, so... (laughs) You're so screwed. (laughs) Why I want to do this gravel racing, which I still love the racing, but it's this deeper, relatable, inclusive experience, that is not necessarily the best thing for just pure race performance. And so I'm trying to ask myself to compete against Keegan while doing something that's better for my personality, but maybe not better for a race result. Do you see that bit when he's like in the back of the truck with his hood pulled up? He rebuilt his wheel. I don't know how to rebuild a wheel. How did he do that? I don't know. I mean, I, I sent him a note just telling him that I love him and I'm watching. <laughs> you know, he just needs some support. <laughs> I have a tire toss and a mechanical bull at the finish line. And like however many <laughs> seconds you stay on the bull is your time bonus. Pete Stetler, welcome back to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Yeah, man. It's uh, What do we do, like an annual catch-up now? Something like that. Seems to be. We could even be biannual. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't think he, I don't think I'm that interesting. You're, you're... We could chop out. I should get my editor. Like it's all rock and roll these days. I have an editor and all. I should get the editor to chop out like the evolution of the arrow bar discussion <laughs> over the course of like four years. <laughs> yeah. Just make a. That would be really interesting. Yeah. I've evolved as much as that thing has. So yeah, that would be. Uh, we go back and listen to those old episodes i'm just going to sound like a flip-flopper so that's no good horrible politician (laughs) how was unbound it was great it was fun uh really enjoyed it this year that that thing's mostly mindset to be honest these days so what was there a bit of controversy it was funny (laughs) because not there was a bit there was a bit of controversy like there's always controversy in gravel man there's always controversy in gravel so there was this mud section Uh. and i chatted with chemo seymour actually like the week before unbound and we kind of flagged that there might be some mucky sections around but i think there was a controversy mainly seemed to be instigated or at least fueled from people that weren't in the break. <laughs> no one in the break was too bothered with the section. Right. Everyone who missed the break was like, oh, it should have been rerouted. It was like a hike a bike. It was too long. Mm-hmm. It jeopardized the event. But it seemed like most of the best riders made it through this hike a bike and into the break. So I'm like, hmm. Yeah. How is it the good guys always get so lucky? Right. And it's it's definitely like extreme mud. Like that is one of those things where you make your own luck. I mean, for sure there's folks that had a real potential to to play for glory that day who got taken out early with with mud but i mean that's also just kind of bike racing right like you know whether there's crashes in road races or whatever and mechanicals and yeah you kind of look at that lead group of seven and it was except for petter backotch like it was all guys who have proficient unbound experience and guys who do their homework and like I, I see both sides of it and I haven't dove into the 
the feud online on purpose because it doesn't serve anything. But I, yeah, I, I understand when you travel all that way and you spend all that money and your day's ruined after a couple miles, like in the first hour. But at the same time, like this is the biggest, the hardest, the baddest event of all of them. And like to dumb it down to make it easier, like that just kind of defeats the whole purpose too, you know? Yeah, couldn't we level that same criticism at any race? Like, oh, I prepare for yeah. 12 months or prepare for a decade for a Tour de France and the first week is riddled with crashes. Yeah, exactly, you know? And, and so it's kind of BS to just like start like throwing words around without actually talking to the organizer too. You know, at the end, like, I mean, don't make a social media post. Like, talk constructively behind the scenes. But it was just, yeah, that was, that was just a conversation that took away, I think, from a lot of the event. Um, but it's also, like, you're going to be looking back at that in years from now. And, like, I was listening to a podcast yesterday on my ride on it. And after, like, the 2015 mud year at Unbound in the same section with all the crazy photos, like, registration got a boost. Like, that's the images that come out of it. And people are like, oh my gosh, that thing is insane. So uh, I just, there's no good answer. But, you know, at the end of the day, how I made it through was like, you have to have experience. And if you don't, you have to do research, right? Like, I mean, I dealt with mud conditions like that in 2020 at the Mid-South when it was the crazy peanut butter mud and there was you know, everybody was in situations like that. And I was leading the race and I gobbed up my bike to the point of like, I was single speeding the rest of the day and I lost. When you say experience, like what is it? Is it a, a technique to ride it? Is it an equipment setup? Is it like you're bringing a stick? Yeah, it's all of that. You know, it's, it's really <laughs> riding extreme mud like that. It's not just pushing harder, you know, it's really listening to your bike and like, understanding like the way the bike is sounding and like the way it's gobbing up is like you have to protect your equipment and you kind of learn that right you kind of learn what things sound like and how it's about to get really bad and you kind of hop off and start running or beeline it to the grass as fast as possible and literally just start bushwhacking to like keep your tires moving you know you don't ever <laughs> like when i'm in mud like that i don't shift that front chain ring if you're running a two by just don't like pedaling under any shifting if you're in a bad moment if you're getting bogged down the number one mistake people make is shifting because that is going to put an extra torque on your derailleur especially even front is even worse because like the the chain ring is all gobbed up in the front so it's not going to land anywhere but in the back to shift is to really stress that system it's better to just grind it and try to get it clear and then shift when you're under an easier load moment. We had the national time trial champs. By the time this goes out, it'll be finished. Okay. And I'm sure we'll be congratulating Ben Healy on a win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look like Nostradamus now when this comes out. But I was looking at the start list today and the event isn't on for a couple of days as we're recording this. And there's only 11 starters for the elite Irish time trial championships mm. and the main reason you know you can speculate on geography of where the course is etc but the main reason that everyone's agreeing on is it's exclusionary based on the cost to enter the amount of technology you need time in the wind tunnel mm -hmm. speed suits etc it's just too exclusionary is gravel slowly creeping that way I chatted with Dylan Johnson on the podcast 
love him. Won't say a bad word about him. He's a really interesting dude, mm. smart, clued in. But like, fuck me, is he not? He's pro. Like he is. <laughs> he's not there to take part. He is there to coin your phrase from a few years ago to take over to win everything. <laughs> when you came into gravel. Is it in danger of becoming exclusionary at the front of the race where you need 3D printed aero bars and speed suits and people are wearing aero socks? Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, the time trial predicament was always like that, though. Like, I mean, even I remember in the U.S. pro championships, it was always like 30 guys. Because, like, if you, if you don't have a chance in the TT, why are you going to do it? You're going to put your eggs in the road race basket where there's a factor of luck. Like, the time trial, you know, being that race of truth really is almost predicated between like, you know, there's five guys who really have a chance of winning. So why are you going to spend all this time and money and effort for something that won't make a splash? Like versus, you know, you go all in for the, the road race. Yeah, for sure. I hear that. But, but say you take a local club 10, like it still has all those same barriers. There's still the same five fast dudes mm. who are going to win. But you have 100 dudes turn up for the local club 10. Well, I think it's just professional, right? I mean, people want to race just to race versus the professionals in the, the time trial. It's like you're going there for a job and a result and getting 20th in the pro Irish TT isn't going to pay the bills, right? When it's your job, it's you're not bike yeah. racing for fun at that point, right? But, you know, that that's just my, that's that's the road and the time trial predicament side of things. I mean, time trials have never had as big a start list. I mean, I you guys definitely... Ireland, UK have like more of a scene there. Like in the US, it's not like that, I guess. Um, but we can go back to gravel. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I am not a TT specialist, but yeah. Uh, so take that with a grain of salt. Since we last spoke, gravel has become extremely performance oriented in the front. And there is a lot of discussion on, you know, where has that balance been lost? You know, and, and I went through a lot of that last year and, um, you know, I, I stirred the pot on one thing on social media, which I should never have. Um, you learn your Are you life. talking about the letter for Unbound about the arrow bars? Oh, no, no. Um, oh, this is something else. Right, oh, to yeah. tell. <laughs> oh, it's Steamboat. There was like the aid station kerfuffle, you know, and um, it was just the way we race, right? Um, and it wasn't even about the organizers or anything. It was just, you know, calling out some guys who you employed these, I guess you could even call them new age tactics now in hindsight. But, um, you know, it's just there. there is a bigger question on is gravel becoming too elitist at the front? You know, and I think I don't think anyone can be surprised. I think that was always the natural evolution of the thing. I mean, you know, when there's enough money in it and it stops becoming as much of not that it isn't. But I mean, you look at mountain biking versus road cycling, at least in the U.S., mountain biking has always been more of a lifestyle event, you know, so it draws more of a personality and a, a culture around it versus road cycling was profession. So you have a wider array of people, a broader spectrum, because people are there for the racing component of it, not of the lifestyle. And so now with gravel being so professional, I mean, you know, you have guys who are coming just to try and res get a result. I'm right into the meat of the season at the moment. I finished the Ross that's in my rear view mirror now. And I was moving super well. I was very competitive despite my protracted absence from that level of racing. Now, I don't want to fall into the trap that I see many riders falling into. Just riding around with no focus or aim and meeting up with friends and having coffee simply because the good weather has arrived. I'm continuing to use my Watt bike. 
almost daily to keep me sharp and on point with specific sessions all the way through to my target events. I can't wait for the Rift and Leadville later this summer. That's why I'm really happy to be continuing my partnership with Wattbike. The Wattbike, Adam, it's in my recording studio right beside the new desk. And if I have an hour between interviews, I jump on. It removes all the friction points. I've no more 10 minutes set up, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff, no more connection issues. It just works every single time. Adam's perfect for Zwift racing too. I have the big TV set up here and I love those crisp gear changes. It has 1% power accuracy and a max gradient capability of 25%, even if my legs don't have a 25% max gradient capability. Even when I'm over there riding those steepest climbs on Watopia, it's absolutely fine. I'm actually riding the custom gearing setup. If you get a Watt bike, definitely play around with that. It's so suitable for those really hilly Watopia stages. If you're looking for an indoor bike trainer, I couldn't recommend this any higher. It's the very last indoor bike trainer that you're ever going to need. Absolutely phenomenal. If you head on over to whatbike.com and you use the code ROADMAN10 at checkout, you're now going to get 10% off the Whatbike Adam. So that's ROADMAN10 at checkout and you're going to get 10% off the Whatbike Adam. All the details for that offer are in today's show notes. Do you think we're at a crossroads now where we get to choose? Do we go down the road where we manufacture the robots that we see in the world tour <laughs> now, which are you know pretty devoid of personality until near the end of their career, and then we yeah. start seeing them a little bit more liberated in conversations and interviews? Mm. Or the mountain bike side, which is less results-driven and more personality and brand-driven? It feels like we're right on that precipice of needing to make a decision now. Yeah, but I don't think anyone actually needs to make a decision. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, you know, I went through that and kind of in in my mind tried to like stand up for gravel or whatever that was, right? And because, <laughs> you know, I feel like I, I understand what made gravel makes gravel. I See, I still don't know. I'm talking sometimes present, sometimes past tense on what makes it special and unique uh, compared to road cycling and why it's successful. And if it just does become drop bar racing off road, that's not going to stay relevant. Like it's just going to go the way of, you know, road cycling or XCO mountain biking and numbers are going to start to drop. So like I very much am a defender of that recipe for success in why this whole boom started, but you know, it's success is almost, it's can be its downfall, right? And at the end of the day, I realized instead of trying to play commissioner and like try to tell people how to do this and that, which nobody likes the commissioner, nobody likes the umpire. Like I just got to do it my way and why I came to this in the first place and, you know, try to, to lead with my example. And if other people only want the arrow gains and the result and they don't want to be a part of the other thing, that's them. Like that's their choice. And it's not like I can shame them for that too. You know, like, so, you know, like Dylan, again, I, I consider him a friend as well. And he's very results driven, marginal gains. That's great. Like, I mean, how old is he? 26, 30, twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, where was I when I was 26, I was eating carrots in some hotel on a mountain in Europe, <laughs> trying to make the tour team and like foregoing every bit of you know, relatable human interaction too. Like I get the game. And so can I fault him for that? That he's in this golden era where his sport is booming and results mean he's making more money than he probably ever has as a professional bike. No, like I can't, 
I can't shame anyone for that, you know? And it's a delicate balance to that I found myself in last year of like supporting this and understanding that, but also, you know, like realizing that's not, that's why, not why I'm doing the gravel thing. And I have to do it my way because if I get pulled back into that way of doing things, then I should have just stayed on the road. Because what I worry about is I chat with, you know, world tour guys all the time. I'm trying to think a recent, like Daryl Impey recently uh, talking to him about coming to the end of his career. And he's saying basically now to be a world tour rider who's competing in the classics and focusing on the tour like he is, you need to either live at altitude or spend the vast, vast majority of your time between races at altitude. So he's like, it's entirely a young man's game because you can't do that with a family unless your family's going to live at altitude, which is well, like Alex Dow said, I was chatting the last week, he chose to live in Andorra with his family, but the life is just race, go to altitude, race, go to altitude. And maybe I'm romantic and kind of like you on this. I just don't want that for gravel because we already have that. It's like, if you want that, that's cool. That's the Matthew Vanderpoel. Well, I hate to tell you, Anthony, but it's already there. I mean, that's that's what you have to do to compete in the Lifetime Grand Prix. You know, guys are... But you know what the kicker with that is? When I shot the chemo on it, the prize money for the Lifetime Grand Prix, it's a headline and it's, mm-hmm. it's a marketing stunt in his words. The mm-hmm. prize money is not what anyone's making their money from. So the win isn't as important it's still the prestige and it's making your career. It's leading to better contracts, endorsements or whatever, right? And it's it's the biggest thing happening in the US right now. You know, it's Unbound and Leadville, the Grand Prix and a handful of other gravel events that are independent such as your SBTs and your BWR California. But, you know, the the Grand Prix is the preeminent racing scene here, you know? And so guys and girls who are fully focused on racing, like that's that's the end all and be all and the crux of their season. You know, Keegan is focused on trying to win that thing again, and he's getting paid well to do it. And I mean, you look at how he prepares, he has the same mentality as a world tour rider. And a lot of the guys in the top 10 do is just race, weight training sessions, sauna sessions for heat adaptation, altitude, living at altitude all summer, heat training for unbound. It's, I mean, that's elite sport. When you start to get to that level and careers are dedicated to that, it's it's already there, you know, but at least with the gravel space, there is still the possibility to do it your way. You know, here's my hot prediction for how it's going to change slightly. I think Lachlan is going to be out of contracts or choose not to re-up his contract with EF soon. Mm. And Lachlan's going to make more than twice the annual income of Keegan and he's not going to win a race. Oh. And people are going to say, whoa, there's a different way of doing it. Lachlan's storytelling, he's brand building. But there's no one one way or wrong. That's what I'm saying is there's, with the way that storytelling and social media and sponsors and all this is, like everyone's on this spectrum, right? You can be more of a storyteller or more of a pure racer. There's not one tried and true way like there kind of is in the world tour. You just have to do that, right? So you can't say that Lachlan's right and Keegan's wrong or vice versa. It's like whoever you align with, like there's people who are fans of Lockie who don't care about Keegan and there's fans of Keegan who don't give a shit about me and they think I'm an over-the-hill world tour rider and vice versa, you know? it's it's So I think in gravel right now, there's still room for personalities and you, you can align with certain riders that you relate to better. 
I think Keegan could be an AI-powered cyclist. Like, he's a <laughs> cycling version of ChatGPT. He's just unbeatable. Yeah, he's, he's tough to beat right now. Um, so it's... And, you know, and I get it, too. Like, I feel like maybe on my best day, I could go toe-to-toe with him if I did everything right and the altitude camps, but I've had to take that conscious step back and that's not why I came here, right? Which almost makes my job doubly difficult is like I need to hold true to why I came to this space and why I want to do this gravel racing, which I still love the racing, but it's this deeper, relatable, inclusive experience. That is not necessarily the best thing for just pure race performance. And so I'm trying to ask myself to compete against Keegan while doing something that's better for my personality, but maybe not better for a race result. Um, And the fact that Keegan loves it. Well, it's also how you judge success. Do you judge it by the, you know, your bank account figure? Do you judge it by, you know, adherence to, like you were saying, those personal values? Or do you judge it by race wins? Because there's a few different lenses to judge success by. Yeah, 100%. And there's not a right way and a wrong way. I What's think right for you, though? I can't judge it by by race wins anymore. I, I, But I used to, and I get folks that do. And the thing is, it's still competitive racing. Like, race wins are always going to count. Like, period. You know? like. But, you know, me personally, I judge success by representing my brands to the best of my ability. And at that moment, at this moment in time, that still includes performing well. But that's not everything, right? It's performing well, but also being present and public with people and helping them with their with t- tips and tricks that they can use to have success on their day. Because being a, being a mass participation sport, it's people are following me, so they have a better chance at their own gravel success, right? Whether it's tire knowledge or course knowledge, or like you just asked, like, how do you get through that mud and stuff? Like, it's all these types of things that you can impart. And in right now, that's where I provide value, but I think a race, still being able to perform at the pointy end of things, gives that validation. Our sponsor today is Caldera Lab. As road men, we're out in all sorts of weather, and I have to say, I've really started to notice the effects of that exposure. I'm just spending too much time in the elements, in the sun, the wind, and the rain, and it's taken an effect. More fine lines, wrinkles, and visible signs of aging. When I look into the mirror some days, it's like my dad's face is looking back at me. Over the past six months or so, I've been looking to optimize all aspects of my health, and I've really focused on finding a solution to this exposure. I'm obviously not going to stop riding my bike. The culmination of my research is being Caldera Lab. I started using this product as a customer because of the depth of clinical trial data showing that this stuff really works. And I have to say, I chased them super hard to get these guys on board as a show sponsor. So how it works is they have three products and you use them in the morning and then again in the evening. The first one is the Clean Slate, which is a balancing cleanser that uses gentle plant-based cleansing, leaving your skin feeling exceptionally refreshed. The second one is the Base Layer, and this is a nutrient-dense moisturizer which hydrates your skin. And the third one is called The Good, and this is a serum which helps your skin to look younger, tighter, and smoother. The combination of these three makes up your morning and evening routines. We have an exclusive offer for our audience so you can try this for yourself and you don't have to take my word for it. You can get 20% off with our code, which is simply ROADMAN. 
head on over to calderalab.com forward slash roadman and use that discount code to unlock your youthful glow and be ready for the summer. I'm going to leave that discount code and link to Caldera in today's show notes. Do you think you'll ease off? Like, what's your criteria at the moment for choosing your calendar? And do you think you'll move it to oh. a less... Like, I'm, I'm thinking, would you go to a Badlands, a Tour Divide? I'm watching Alex Howes and Tour Divide right now, and there's no part of me that wants to do that. Um, do you see that bit when he's, like, in the back of the truck with his hood pulled up? and He rebuilt his wheel. Yeah. I don't know how to rebuild a wheel. How no. did he do that? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I, I sent him a note just telling him that... I love him and I'm watching. <laughs> he just needs some support. <laughs> um, no, it's that is a good question. You know, and, and this year, my calendar actually looks quite different. If you look at my website and the races there are, is because last year I realized that there was that extreme professionalization of the front of gravel racing, right? And it was just race and not about the other parts of the gravel experience. And for me. I can't just do that. So when I looked at when I went set about making my schedule for 2023, there's a bigger balance to it all. You have your elite unbounds, your Leadvilles, your steamboats, but then I have a whole bunch of unknown events, smaller events. Actually, this weekend I'm going to an event with 250 people in the middle of the Nevada desert that no one's ever heard of before because I was able to tell myself that if I can go to these other events where it is just about the community and the mass participation and the the good vibes, as honky as that sounds, then when I show up to Unbound, I've kind of filled my cup with that. And it can just be like, all right, let's flip the switch. It's race time. It's business time. Like Unbound, I just, you have to go back to the world tour racer mentality because that's what it is now. And that's what I was saying at the beginning of this podcast is it's all your mentality. Like I really enjoyed Unbound this year because I showed up and I was like, this is the biggest gravel race on the planet. Everyone else is here to try to win. This is the game. And this is a game I know how to play. And I wasn't stressed about trying to fit in all the other expo, uh, fun things, drinking things, because I went to the Unbound training camp with a hundred clients two months before and got to experience Emporia in that way. And the, with with that balance, It's actually really interesting. It's That kind of speaks to something that's up to me at the moment because I'm going to events and then I'm partaking in all the extracurriculars around the event, mm-hmm. but then disappointed that I don't perform... Yeah, it's a hard ask. ...like I would have 10 years ago at the event. So it's like, you want to have your cake and eat it. Yeah, you're putting more on your shoulders and it's not necessarily the best recipe for race success but can you really be surprised when that happens, you know? And so that's that's trying. That's how I'm trying to balance it. Like, I want to do this fun event, but then I want to hunker down for a week and, like, do some altitude training and fully prepare for Crusher and the Tusher in a few weeks, you know? And then show up there, and it's like, I got to go head-to-head against Keegan and Finsty and Howard Grotz and Lockie again, you know? So I need to... It's just that balance internally for me and when I can justify those sacrifices, I guess. Has altitude training got a lot cheaper now? You just drive your van to altitude and just go sleep? Exactly, man. I know. I just go into the middle of the forest. <laughs> Find some hot springs out in Nevada. I'm, that's what I was doing this morning before the call. It's just... Uh, How's van life? Uh, it doesn't exist as much with kids anymore because I don't just get like to disappear for a week and take the slow way. I have to like hop on a plane more because I have to get back to family. So... 
um, I'm struggling for it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to like a, a little one this weekend. What's the threshold for bringing the kids in the van? Because it's something myself and my girlfriend, we don't have kids, but we have dogs and they're as demanding. <laughs> so Sea Otter, which is the uh, round one of the Lifetime Grand Prix, you know, Sea Otter Bike Expo. It's like maybe the world's biggest bike show now, I think. It's definitely North America's. It's insane. But um, I brought the family. Uh, the thing is, we can't fit the cribs in the van yet. Like my kids still just can't sleep on, in the bed, right? So they need a full-on crib and protect them from falling and flopping and, you know, they need the walls. So we couldn't fit the cribs in the van. And so we we're going to be like, great, it's going to be baby's first camping trip. So we bought one of those stupid like three meter by three meter tents that you can like fully stand up in, <laughs> <laughs> like from like the, the sporting goods store, you know, and pitch the tent and like put an air mattress in there for my wife and I. And we were camping, we were sleeping in that. The first night was okay. And then the night of the race, you know, I had to wake up early for race meal. I also would have liked a good night of sleep without babies. So I was in the van and my wife was still in the tent with the littles. It just made the most sense. Um, And it just got so freaking cold that night that like the kids were crying because they were over cold and... You know, I, I remember at 2 a.m. being woken up by their cries and like my wife doesn't want to bug me. The poor woman is so sweet and she's just like trying to cuddle these babies in this freezing tent. I sleep like, get on in here, you know? And so this is the night of the race, 2.30 a.m., opening up the van, turning on all the lights, uh, somehow rigging my son's crib so it does perch in the van somehow. And then for my daughter, because we have twins, we have this like super breathable mattress where even if she's like face planted, they still breathe through it. So they're not going to suffocate putting that on the bed in the van. And then because she wasn't scooting up or down yet, she would only roll side to side. And then my wife and I literally had the space of our shoulders on the mattress on each side. So our daughter would, if she were going to roll, she would roll into one of us and we'd be like, okay, Hey, there's a kid bumping (laughs) up. We got to reposition her. So yeah, that was my race night was literally sleeping on foot and a half, a half meter space on the bed with like a drop off on the side and crying babies. Um, and then I didn't perform very well. Did you look back on when you were single and think, oh my God, I don't even, <laughs> like I, I was so lucky I didn't even know it. Yeah, and and the race went really, really bad the next morning. <laughs> Did not perform at all. Kale surprise. So I was kind of like, all right, you know, like there's some races where the kids and the family, I want them there and it's fun. And there's other races where, you know, like they shouldn't be at Unbound. I don't have time for them. You're just you know, you're dealing with all the other expo activations, pre-rides. Like Unbound doesn't make sense for the family to come. But some of these lower key races, it really does, you know. So I guess that's the balance too. And you went over to Finland for the new gravel one over there? How was that? Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, super fun. Uh, You know, the organizers at uh, SBT, this is their second event basically. So for those who don't know, SBT in Steamboat Colorado is one of the biggest gravel races in the entire US, they're they're top notch. They're kind of like the Porsche of race organizers. Like just everything is polished and clean and pro and beautiful. So they partnered with Valtteri Botas, the F1 driver, and his partner Tiffany, who is a Canyon women's pro world tour racer, to create Finland gravel. Um, and I just I saw that announcement. I was just like, hell yeah. Like, I mean, I part of this whole thing is I want to see new places in the world. You know, it's and I'd never been to Finland, so. Have you been to Iceland? Yeah, I did the Rift in 2021. And then last year I did that Transcordieras Columbia 
bikepacking race um, ah, cool. across the Colombian Andes. Um, so I'm trying to get, you know, a good international adventure every year. So uh, this year, yeah, Big Tall Wayne, my mechanic, and I went to Finland. And yeah, we raced the bikes, and that was fun. And it went decently enough. Um, but then uh, we did, like, sauna culture and hung out in Helsinki for a day, and that was super fun, too. Do you ever wonder what's the end game with the pizza and the brands? Will you spin it up to your own gravel events? Is there an apparel line coming? Is there a beer company coming? Like at some point, I'm assuming for every rider. I have all those things already. You have your own events? I didn't know that. Oh, come on, man. Man, you just live in a bubble. Oh, I didn't know that. I have Stetna's Pay Dirt. It's in my own gravel race. I need to be over at that. When is it? It was May 20th this year. Next year, May 18th. Third, third weekend in May. Um, and it's amazing. It's the fresh breath in gravel racing right now. It was a success this year. <laughs> if if I do say so myself. It was. I, mean, I, I do say so myself. <laughs> I stand by that, and I'm proud of it. Freaking proud of it. We No aero bars. No aero bars. Or the fucking highway. <laughs> so how we do it is it's like super long time segments. So like it's like, you know, 20K with this crazy climb and descent through this extreme mountain range, and it's rugged and stuff. But then, like, you cross the timing mat, and all of a sudden, you're off the clock. So what it does is, like, it promotes, like, a breakup and a regrouping. So, like, you can rip with your friends, or, like, the elite women are racing each other full gas. But then they cross the line, and you chill. And, like, we have hot dogs at the aid stations between. So you're having, like, the race winners, like, smashing hot dogs and, like, drinking Coke and stuff. and just. I love this idea. I've seen this at a few events, but I've never done it. Yeah, and it's more long time segments, and sometimes they're like flat and mountain bikey. Sometimes they're more pedally and climby. Like it's, and then you get all get into the the weeds on like the the tactics behind that. Because is it better to just do your own thing and leave on your own and get like a clean shot at trail, or do you want to actually like ride with people in a group and like push each other that way? Um, and then you get back to the finish line, and we have uh, alternative time bonuses. So. Whereas, you know, in road racing, it's like, oh, you have a preem sprint for, you know, 10, 6, 4 seconds or a, a hilltop sprint. Um, I have a tire toss and a mechanical bull at the finish line. And like, <laughs> however many seconds you stay on the bull is your time bonus. Um, if you get a ringer about, there's like life-size cutouts of me, like, you know, 20 meters away. If you get that ringer, that's like worth 20 second time bonus or something. Um, so... It, it's just about good fun and kind of like not taking ourselves so seriously. But, you know, we have a lot of other initiatives. I mean, we had a prize purse for the pro women only, not the men, um, trying to, you know, boast equity in cycling um, is a major point for me. And so we had some of the best women off-road racers in the U.S. show up today, and it actually came down to the tire toss. Oh, that's pretty cool. How many participants do you have this year? Right around 500. That's where we cap it. Um, just manageable and kind of a boutique event where it's just, we could go bigger and it's just, there's a whole bunch of business discussions that go with that, or it's just better to sell out and be happy at 500. Yeah, because you look at them big events and they must have like chatting with chemo and some of the lifetime events. Like they have, it's a huge team. It's a huge operation. This is not like, you know, someone's part-time gig. It's the legit logistics conundrum to put these events together. Yeah. No, and this is, my partner is an events organizer, so they just do events all year, and it's 50-50 me and them. So I'm the one making the plan, doing, like, 
kind of the decisions and the marketing around it and talking with sponsors. And then they're the ones that are doing registration and timing and porta potties and vendors and expos and all that stuff. Um, so it really is like a, a, it is me. It's not just my name on the thing. It is like a labor of love, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Did you think when you left the world tour, you were leaving behind coaches and intervals? And now I see on your Instagram, you have a coach again. It's time to maximize that training yeah. time. What's going on with this? That's just babies, man. New kids. Uh, you just there's there's not as much hours in the day anymore. You come home and it's kids. So you know I don't I I can make the time for my training rides, but I kind of get to like pick one. It's like okay, long training ride, but no recovery. You know, or oh, I can cut the ride short and I can do like some personal recovery and some business or some emails, but. It's so it, it's just about time management and realizing like how professional the front group has like the you're seeing the same wattage increases in gravel as you are in the world tour over the last few years. It's just it's so elite now that I realized to be competitive. I just I needed to outsource something. I'm so busy with all these other projects. And so for me, that was coaching is like if I can be held a little accountable, I can have someone else looking at the bigger picture and telling basically quality over quantity. That was the biggest thing. So Orange Seal runs an academy. Uh, they actually have this coach in Dennis Van Windham over in Girona, who I raced against my whole career, which was kind of funny that he's now helping me. Um, but uh, he's a really brilliant coach. And so he's been uh, helping me juggle, I think, is more even than like the workouts. It's the juggle. What's a, a big takeaway you've had from it? Is it accountability? Is it more quality over quantity? More data-driven? Oh, it's both of those. You know, he, he is very data-driven and I almost have to pull him back and be like, nah, I'm not going to, like, I can't just warm up for this amount of time and just, like, do it at this level and this, like, no, I'm in, I'm in gravel for the adventure too. Like, my training ride is going to be on this route because this is the way it makes sense and we're going to fit it in, you know? Like, it, so it is, it is, I guess, pro-roadie world tour type of workouts and structure, but it's kind of pivoted into a bit of a gravel vibe that's just kind of more fun and a little bit more relaxed on that. But with him, the biggest thing is the accountability and the structure because, you know, he, he can basically make a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour workout that's as valuable as a five-hour workout because he's, like, forcing all those things in. And I know, like, if I'm leaving my family, like it's business time on this training ride. I don't stop at the cafes the same anymore. You know, I got to get back to family. This is why I work with some guys who are like very high net worth individuals. And this is the conversation I have with them all the time. Their time has such a high dollar value opportunity yeah. cost that for them to scrape away for a two hour ride, they need to be seeing a return on that training investment. It needs to be the maximum they can get out of that, assuming they're performance driven and it's not just uh, for mental clarity. In other news, to finish up, because uh, Stages are one of the sponsors on the podcast, I've snagged an invite to Leadville this year. So <laughs> You're so screwed. <laughs> watch me on the descent. Uh, if you're on my wheel on Leadville on the descent, you're well, screwed. there you go. So that's your question. Are you going to go to altitude before? Well, look, I was talking to Dylan Johnson, and he's like casually like, yeah, you want to come over about a month before and kind uh, of stay at like... Here in week one, here in week two, here in week three. I can't come for a month. No, you don't. What plan are you on? You can't come for a month. So here's the, this is what I did last year. Cause you know, I was stuck in a hospital with my kid for five months. We had some complications. Um, 
and life was really hard last summer. So uh, I still had to do Leadville, though. Um, you know, so my wife let me get away for the, the weekend, um, literally the day before. Like, that's the next best thing. You know, Leadville is so freaking high. The lowest point on the course is like 3,200 meters, the lowest, right? It's just a lung contest. So it's either do the full acclimation and a month before and all this stuff, or literally show up the day before and your body doesn't fully go into like, oh my God, there's no oxygen. I need to go into a resting cycle and start building red blood cells. It's like you kind of like sneak it in under the line. So that's what I did last year. I flew in from San Francisco the day before Leadville and went up. And I mean, I wasn't as good as past years, but I still eighth on the day. Like Still pretty solid, I take it. And like half-assing it and like not being able to train because I was at a hospital. So, you know, it's, I would just do that. I mean, you're going to have to deal with the jet lag too, but gosh, you know, like fly into Denver, even that's going to be high for you. Yeah, I would just fly in Thursday spend one day in Denver and then drive up Friday and race Saturday. Yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to rock a uh, double sauce. I'm kind of worried about my mountain bike scales, like front and a rear double suspension. Sauce? Is that Irish for full suspension? <laughs> yeah, I call it double sauce. Full suspension. Call it a dually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I, I don't have a hard tail, firstly, so I'd have to get one uh, off factor before then. But I'm just, yeah, I just don't have to, I just don't ride mountain bike very much. So I've started to do a few more mountain bike races. Jury's out on which is faster. Um, I personally will run a hard tail just because of the climbing and the way I, I like the feeling of it. But I, I definitely even give up some on the descents. Um, I've ran a full suspension in that race before, and a lot of people do. You'll be totally fine. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because it's the first time racing gravel stateside, so and I haven't been back in a few years, so looking forward to oh, it. Oh, you're racing mountain bikes, though. Are you going to stick around, though? I mean, if you can somehow finagle a registration to Steamboat, even though it's sold out uh, via a sponsor or a perk or something, I mean, that's a week after. Yeah, I heard Sofia Gomez is on the podcast, and Sofia, if you're listening, I still haven't got my registration yet, so hit me up, hook me up. <laughs> Sophia's hooking me up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully I will get a Steamboat registration. Uh, I only found out about it when I interviewed uh, Sophie. She's like, oh, you should do Steamboat. And I was like, oh, what's that? And then she was saying it's an amazing event the week after. So yeah, I will try and get out if I can get an entry for that. They put it out there, like unless you have a sponsor in, like even the pros have to go through the lottery. And the only way to get around that is by having a partner at the expo that, you know, if you activate at the expo, your company, you kind of get like five spots or whatever it is, right? Per the the negotiation. So who's the sponsors on it? I don't know. Look at their website, man. I mean, I have uh, orange seal and stuff um, that are able to get me in because they activate there, but I really respect SBT and that they, I mean, they, it is a big pro race, but you're not special. You're with everyone else. Hey, you want to show up? This is the registration link. And so I'm sure Sophia gets in via uh, specialized, which is great. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the game you have to play at steamboat. Um, no one special. Pete, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for protecting the spirit of gravel. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> good chatting with you, man. Chat soon, buddy. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. 
So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.